Today, we're going to talk about giving others the benefit of the doubt and not just automatically assuming bad intentions. Welcome to Sisterhood of Success, where real sisters discuss issues that encourage personal growth, promote success, and just spread joy while building a community of honorary sisters. Hi, and welcome to The Hood. I'm Rachel Lam, a freelance writer specializing in corporate communications, and I'm here with my sister Jody. That's me. I'm Dr. Jody Jedlica, an audiologist and certified success principles trainer. Today, we wanted to talk about giving people the benefit of the doubt and the effect that that has on all your relationships and on your own mental health as well. And I know that you have some really strong feelings about this or really strong opinions about this. So why don't you tell me what you mean by giving people the benefit of the doubt? Well, sure. Um, people have told me over the years that it's kind of hard to offend me. Um, you say that quite often, that you can say thing, difficult things to me and I don't automatically take offense. I don't assume that you're trying to hurt my feelings. I assume that you're trying to help me in some way and help me improve. And I think in general, people often try to they often assume the worst instead of assuming the best in people. And somehow our parents instilled in all of us, I'm not exactly sure how, but they somehow instilled in us that when people are acting in a less than appealing way toward us, that it often has something to do with what's going on in their own lives rather than what, how they're, you know, anything that has to do with us. And so, you know, you see this, um, there's actually some TV characters that do this pretty regularly and people kind of pick on them. So a good example would be in Big Bang Theory. Sheldon Cooper always assumes that whatever's going on with people has nothing to do with him because he's (laughs) always right, you know, (laughs) That, that he can't possibly, it can't possibly be about him. And so I think the reason that people don't do it oftentimes is because it can come across almost arrogantly. But in truth, it's, it, I think it's really um, selfless to think about things that way because it's a way to say, it's not about me. You know, I'm not making everything about me. And that's what happens when you assume that somebody is trying to hurt your feelings or their motivations are somehow focused on you. I think that is self-centered. A good example of that would be when someone cuts you off in traffic. If you're always assigning motivations that are bad, you're assuming that that person somehow has it out for you and it wants to ruin your day. That person has no clue who's in the car next to them. Mm -hmm. And so really, it's not about me. It's about whatever is happening in that car. It's, you know, they're late for uh, an interview that could change their lives or or they're, they're lost. Or they're <laughs> or lost. they don't they don't know what lane to be in. They don't exactly. know. Yes. That would be me. If I ever cut you off, just know I have no idea where I'm going. Uh-huh. Me too. <laughs> me too. Because I always say they they don't care who they cut off or what happened. They're, you know, something's going on in their own head. So it's not about you. So I call that giving people the benefit of the doubt. Why are you assigning certain motivations to their behaviors? And and actually, humans 
are hardwired to assign motivations to behaviors. And in fact, in social psychology, it's called attribution theory. And so there's two types of attribution in attribution theory. And I should, you know, if anybody wants to research this or get more into it, that idea was originally asserted by Fritz Heider. There's two types of attribution, and that is internal attribution, which is called dispositional, or external attribution, which is called situational. That one makes sense, right? What's happening around you in your situation that's causing you to act that way? which we can go back to the getting cut off in traffic. You know, is that a situational, what's happening in their car, in their heads that's making them drive that way? The funny thing is, is that people tend to attribute their own behavior to external factors, to situational. Like I didn't do as well on that test as I thought I should have because they didn't do a good job of writing the questions or the the room that we were in was noisy. You know, something like that. You assign your own behaviors, your own faults, your own issues to situational things, right? Yep. Or in my case, you know, I'll take a quiz online and I just think I'm right and they're wrong. So right. <laughs> <laughs> that. It's assuming I'm always right. Right. That's a first, oh, you could that's look a firstborn problem, I think. Um, <laughs> firstborn. Um, I think that is a, a human race issue. Everybody thinks that they're right and there must be something. That, but that's the point is people assign situational things to their own behaviors, their own issues, their own motivations. And they tend to assign internal or dispositional factors to others' behavior. So they assume that if someone snaps at them, that that person is trying to be mean to them. They, they must be mad at them as opposed to they just got really bad news and they took it out on you. Or, Would that be the same as, you know, somebody cuts you off in traffic and then you say, oh, that person's just a jerk for cutting me off? Right. Because you're saying that they internally basically are a bad person. <laughs> right, they're doing right. it because they are a jerk, not because oh shoot, they were supposed to take that exit and they got flustered. So that tends to be the default for all people is that you kind of give yourself the benefit of the doubt. You give yourself Mm -hmm. a break, but you don't do that to others. So how do you think that affects you in real life? How do you think that that kind of way that we were brought up, that idea that we've somehow been instilled with. How do you think that that affects your relationships? How, how do you think it affects you as a family, as a person? Again, I think it's, I'm very hard to offend. I don't take things personally. And therefore, I consider that giving someone grace or being very forgiving. You know, mm-hmm. they have a wide berth, I guess, of making a mistake mm-hmm. in my presence. And oftentimes what that looks like is, If my kid comes home and is really crabby, rather than snapping back at them and like, well, why are you talking like that to me? I didn't ruin your day. Mm -hmm. My instinct would be to give them a hug. What happened Mm -hmm. today? What's going Mm -hmm. on that's making you so frustrated? And it it really strengthens your relationship. Mm -hmm. What? How does that look in your life? Well, I can talk to you about that. But one of the things that I have been thinking as you're talking is 
one of the ways that I see it affect you, sometimes it's easier to see it in other people than it is to see in yourself. But one of the things that I always think about you is you're incredibly forgiving. So not only are you hard to offend, but if we do manage to offend you and we can come up and say, you know, I'm sorry this happened. This is what was going on with me. It's just gone. It's just not, it's not something that lives between us forever and ever. And even if it was really hurtful to you at the moment, it's just gone. It also makes it really easy to come and apologize. It makes it easy to admit your own failings in that situation because you just know that you're not going to hang on to it. Relationships in particular, having that forgiving sense is great from a spousal relationship or especially with your children. I mean, your kids have so much pressure on them all the time these days. Mm -hmm. And to be able to not assume that they're being sassy with you or um, disrespectful Mm -hmm. and to default to how can I help you? What's on your plate that is causing this reaction or this behavior is really a good way to give your kids a base to be able to come and talk to you. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about this this week because you warned me that this was going to be our topic coming up. (laughs) And, And I think one of the things that I do, and I never really realized that I did this until recently, is I don't know, you would probably call it giving people the benefit of the doubt, but I call it just assuming that people are going to it's a weird word to use, but assuming that people are going to delight me. And so somebody may come in and their weaknesses may be very obvious. So I used to work with a lot of kids and kids would come in, they might have behavior problems, they might have challenges at school. And I just always said, well, just be ready for them to delight you. Look for reasons to be delighted by them. And you always can find them. You always can find kind of those I don't know what you would say, diamonds in the rough. You can always find that something to treasure about them. And parents too, you know, parents are not perfect. We are not perfect. But, you know, a parent can come in and have all kinds of things that are very obvious about them that may not be likable or good in particular situations. You know, you can you can judge what they're doing bad or good, but removing that judgment and just assuming that there's something behind that behavior or assuming that they're doing it for a reason, if you look for it, you can always find it. And so maybe they're not handling it in the way that you would handle it, but they're handling it in the way that they need to, you know, they care about that child or they care about what's happening. Or if you look for those things, you can almost always find them. I agree. And in my opinion, another word for giving the benefit of the doubt is showing compassion. If you show compassion and try and see where their behavior originates from, Mm -hmm. you can almost always figure out why someone is acting a certain way. And I think once you understand people's stories behind their behavior, it's really easy to be compassionate, but we don't look for the stories. We make snap judgments, like you said. And so I think that that's a big part of giving the benefit of the doubt is finding ways to be compassionate. You know, another perfect example is referees. Um, (laughs) 
honestly, you know, (laughs) not everyone is cut out to be a referee. And one of my children uh, was a referee, a soccer referee for many, many years. And we would talk about how people yell at referees. And one of the things that he would say is, I can ignore them. It does not bother me one bit when people yell at me because number one, usually they're wrong. They're yelling because they don't understand. Well, it's because they don't understand a rule. You know, right, not, right. not even because they're emotionally involved in that right. situation, but they don't understand the rule. And so they're yelling about it. And he's like, just let them get it off their chest. I, I can't educate them in the middle of a game. Mm-hmm. And so let them yell. I'm just going to ignore that because I know that that's not coming from a place, you know, of knowledge or right, understanding. Right. I had another child who tried to referee and it was overwhelming because (laughs) everyone was yelling, but he couldn't take himself out of that situation. He couldn't, he felt personally responsible for, you know, for getting them upset. Mm -hmm. And, um, but that's a great lesson oftentimes is when somebody is yelling at a referee, why are they yelling? You know, they're either personally invested or they're, you know, they don't understand. Having a referee who can attribute that behavior appropriately is really important. And I think it should be something that they teach or that they kind of include in that referee training. Mm-hmm. Taking this much bigger picture than than just kind of personal relationships, I think one of the other things that we do is assume that when things happen, that they're not necessarily bad things that happen. So someone else looking oh. in might think, oh my gosh, this is a disaster. This is the worst thing that could possibly happen. My life is over. And I think that who knows why, but we can look at that situation and assume something good is going to come out of it. I attribute all of that to our mother, by the way, who is such a positive person. <laughs> right. always assume something good is going to happen. But anyway, I was working with somebody this week. And so background about me, I'm an audiologist. I work with people with hearing impairments. And I was working with someone who's a musician and he has been diagnosed with a condition that he could lose the hearing in one of his ears. And it's a very good chance that he could lose the hearing completely in one of his ears. And for a musician, that is critical. And this is what his whole life is based around. And he was in my office telling me, if I lose the hearing in my ear, I just don't even want to live. I don't want to be around anymore. That's my life. And after letting him talk for quite a long time, I said to him, the universe would not give you this genius without also giving you an opportunity to use it. And so don't assume that your life is over. Just assume that there's something you haven't tackled yet that you need to still tackle. And we don't even know if the worst case scenario is going to happen, but look at it as an opportunity to explore other options. This could be a blessing. How many people do you know who bad things have happened to that when they look back, they say, gosh, that's the best thing that ever happened to me because it forced me to do this or it gave me the opportunity to do this. But being able to look back and say, you know, that was really an opportunity not a disaster. In that case, you're looking back and saying, oh, that was an opportunity that I didn't recognize. But being able to look forward and say, maybe this is an opportunity, maybe something good will come of this, or believing that good things will come regardless of what it looks like right now. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I think we should have an entire show on that because I think that your perspective when faced with hardships completely changes the outcome in all honesty. And I'm a big believer in deal with what is presented to you, mm-hmm. not with what you wish was presented to you. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the mm-hmm. reality of the situation. Where are you going to go from here? You can't right. change that. So let's go from, you know, what, like I said, what the reality of the situation is. 
And I do think all of those things are interrelated and play, you know, together on how your perspective affects things. I I think that people just, they try to tell a, a story and it all comes out of fear. We've talked about this before. Every single one of these attributions that is negative comes from fear. You're assuming the worst because you're worried that the worst might happen. And mm-hmm. I think that that's part of maybe how we, um, as a family, are able to give people the benefit of the doubt and assume the best. That is one thing. And like you said, really definitely comes from our mom is that we have an optimistic outlook. I have sometimes said I am a victim of my optimism <laughs> because I sometimes <laughs> don't see things coming. Much happier way to live, you know, and mm-hmm. those things are going to happen and they're going to come along no matter what. So just deal with them when they come up. I guess I have kind of a way I'd like to tie this all together and mm-hmm. sort of a thought to leave people with as far as to give a, an action step to think about how can I uh, incorporate this into my own life? I mean, yes, it's a great idea, but mm-hmm. what does that look like for me? Uh-huh. And I guess what it looks like is try to find the internal factors that motivate your own behaviors. So switch that sort of default. You know, we try and look for situational factors for our own behaviors. Try and look at, okay, why did I do that? Why did I say that? How could I do that differently and more positively? How could I think about somebody else in that interaction? And then vice versa, rather than automatically assuming an internal motivation in somebody else's behavior, Let's look at their circumstances. Let's look at their situation. When somebody says something that doesn't appeal to you, that makes you feel bad, let's think about why that happened and and maybe what you could even do to alleviate some of that pain in their lives. I always say happy people are not mean, you know? Uh, That's true. Happy people are happy and they spread happiness all over the place. Happy people do not make you feel bad. Mm -hmm. And therefore, if somebody is making you feel bad, most often it's because they are not happy. Their lives are not going the way that they planned or hoped. And Mm so usually you can kind of flip that and help them in some way and strengthen that relationship. And I saw years ago a quote that I ended up researching and found that it came from a blog post written by a man named Pastor Pat Murray. And uh, it's an analogy that I just think really, it has stuck with me for years and years, like a decade. And so I just want to read that to you. And I think that's a good way to sort of tie together this entire thing and sort of a thought to leave you with. His analogy is uh, people are like garbage trucks. They run around full of garbage, frustration, anger, and disappointment. As their garbage piles up, they need a place to dump it. And sometimes they'll dump it on you. Don't take it personally. Just smile and wish them well. Don't take their garbage and spread it to other people at work, at home, or on the street. Love the people who treat you right. Pray for the ones who don't. And I think, what a lesson. You know, (laughs) I mean, the people who aren't treating you right need your love the most. I'd like to transition on that note to a feature that we do in every episode called Our Favorite Things. This is all the stuff we just can't wait to tell each other about. So one thing you should know about us is we have pretty curly, coarse hair. And I have for years fought to try and straighten that. Um, Team that beast, right? Exactly. Um, I actually have named the entire month of August Hat Month because... uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> in Wisconsin, the humidity here just makes taming that beast not so possible. So we just go with ponytail and a baseball cap. One of my absolute favorite things that I have to share with you is a Christmas gift I got this year. It's a hairbrush styler called the Revlon InStyler. And I cannot say enough good things about this. Last time I saw Jody, I made her run her fingers through my hair because it feels so soft and silky and beautiful. Anyway, this product my um, hairstylist recommended and I could not be happier because I have always had to round brush and dry my hair and then straighten it using quite a bit of product. And then still it was pretty frizzy and I had to hairspray it to really make it sort of within an inch of its, you know, helmetness to really even get it to cooperate for a few hours. So this product, I, it takes me about six seven minutes to do my hair now that is fully drying it from beginning to end. And it completely straightens it with no frizz. It is smooth and silky and soft and shiny. And you all want to see me and touch my hair now. So, um, And um, I'm going to call you out, Rachel. Rachel's only, only fault is that she's <laughs> never on time. And so I think whoever gave her that for Christmas was hoping that this would help with her timeliness. Anyway, you um, told me all about it a couple of times now. And so I did go out and buy one last week. And you don't even know that, do you? I didn't. Yay. No. So I got it. I've been using it all week and it is every bit as good as she says it is. And I, same thing, have curly hair, always trying to get it to behave itself. By the time I get into my hot car, it's bad again before I get to work even. And I too have been able to, it probably took me longer than just to dry my hair than it takes me to do my hair from front to back with this. So I would dry it, I would straighten it, I would, you know, get expensive treatments done to it. But this is every bit of a miracle as she says that. Right? So I love it changing life changing for me and my husband who stands around and waits for me all the time exactly and you look better in that amount of time like you look better it takes way less time i know life changing and i am i'm not adept let's just say at doing my hair in different fancy ways and this looks like i've had a professional blowout every single time i walk out the door i'm going to the grocery <laughs> store and i look like a model i mean not the rest of me but my hair is fabulous so i highly recommend this product i'll put a link to it in our show notes and i can absolutely stand behind it and uh, know that you will look beautiful and more importantly feel beautiful every time you step out of your bathroom. So um, on that note, please like our podcast. If you'd like to hear more of this, uh, you can subscribe to our podcast and get it a notice every time we have a new episode come out. Go to thesisterhoodofsuccess.com where you can find the affiliate link to the Revlon InStyler and uh, learn more about us and see other information about the podcast and other things that we do. So thanks for listening and have a great day.